Hey there, friends. This is Pastor David. Um, I want to say thank you to listening to these podcasts, these sermons, and being a part of our community in this way. Um, I'm sitting and doing a batch of these today. It's June 23rd. Um, we've had some digital gremlins in our equipment, and so I'm trying to figure out the best way to get these backlogged uh, sermons up and loaded for you. Um, there should be uh, coming to your devices, to your podcast, uh, to the website, um, at least, uh, you know, three sermons as we catch back up. This one's from June 7th. Um, but I want to thank you for your patience in waiting for these to come back out and say that I, uh, as the pastor and we as the community, really appreciate you um, and the way that you uh, participate in our life together. Thank you. So uh, it's been an interesting year. All right. Uh, a couple things going on this year as we think about it. A uh, year that began with a whole continent on fire. If you recall, all the way back to January. Still recovery happening from that in that place. A year that included one of only a handful, a small handful of uh, 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 presidential impeachments. Uh, a year that included... The spring break that never ended. A year that has us gathering in church with masks, sitting far from one another. What a year. Murder hornets. The murder hornets. Who could forget the murder hornets? It's been a year. I, I sent out the information about this and, and someone said, you know, can't you be more positive in what you have to say this Sunday? I said, I, yeah, I'm positive that this year has kind of sucked. Here's the thing I know about grief. When we don't express our grief, it comes out sideways. When we take grief and we pretend that we are okay, that it doesn't affect us, that it doesn't make a difference, comes out at short tempers with the people who live in our homes or we work with, comes out with an impatience, comes out with sadness at things that aren't what we're really sad about. Jesus knew this. I love and I come back to this story in John 11 again and again. I want to walk you through it because it's got everything in the cycle of grief. Jesus walks up and the first thing that happens is Martha and then Mary walk up to him. And they know who Jesus is. Number one, he's their friend. Number two, they've seen the miracles that he has done. And they say to Jesus, if you had just been here, why weren't you? Where were you? Anger. Anger and ill temper. And Jesus, Jesus listens to them. He doesn't tell them they're wrong for being mad at them. You notice that? Jesus doesn't say, how could you get mad at me? I'm Jesus. He just listens to their anger and their pain. And he goes to the tomb. 
Now, maybe Mary and Martha didn't know what was coming next. But can we assume together that Jesus knew what he was going to do next? Do you think that's a safe assumption? That of all people on the face of the earth, Jesus knew that he was able and was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew that things would work out. That there was a happy ending on the other side. And still, Jesus stood at that tomb and wept. Think about that for a moment. Sometimes we get told that our grief, our sadness, our anger, our disappointment is somehow unfaithful, somehow an unwillingness to trust in God and God's promises. Do you think it's also safe to say that Jesus trusted in God? Right? Like, I, I think we can assume that together. And Jesus wept at the tomb. It's not a lack of faith to grieve. I thought I brought it in here. I didn't bring it in here. I have a stack of like 300 invitations to Easter worship. You probably got one in the mail because I mailed them out like a month before Easter. I was going to pass out the others. Every time I look at those things, I get mad about the work I put into designing them and ordering them and the money that we spent on them and the fact that Easter was spent at my kitchen table and not in church. But I can't bring myself to throw them away because I spent money on them. Never mind that they're an invitation to a worship service that never happened. I bet you have things like that. Even as we gather back to worship, this is not what I envisioned when we gathered back to worship. Don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see you all, and I'm happy to see you all. But this is not what I had in mind for when we gathered back to worship. We left this room on May 17th. March 17th. Thank you. It just seems like May. It just seems like a couple weeks ago. March 17th. And I thought we would be back in a week or two or three. And that when we came back, we would all be excited to see one another and we would celebrate and we would, you know, hug. <laughs> Sit close to one another and sing our favorite songs at the top of our lungs. But that's not what we're doing. Sometimes I think we don't want to admit our frustration, our impatience with the way things turned out or are turning out. The fact that the normal that we're coming back to is not the normal that we left three months ago. I think it's okay to say, this is not what I was planning on. And I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. On the wrong day, I'm angry. And some days, I'm sad. 
bet you you have those same things going on too. In church, we celebrate all the ups and downs of life in this space. We gather for weddings and baptisms and we rejoice together. But we also pray over one another when we're ill or our loved ones are ill. And we gather together to mourn and grieve together at funerals. Because we believe as people of faith that that whole realm of experience is holy. That Jesus Christ became one of us, and in becoming one of us, completely one of us, God has made what we experience holy. Holy anger, holy grief, holy disappointment is what we're experiencing. And we're called to experience it together as a community, to know that you don't have to go through this alone. That's why we're talking about this today, so that you know that this is not you out on your own having to deal with all this, that we carry the load together. And out of all people, out of all people, we ought to not be afraid to talk about grief and sadness. We're the ones who believe that our God has conquered the grave. We're the ones who believe that Good Friday always leads to Easter Sunday. So why would we avoid talking about death and sadness and grief when we know what's on the other side of it? I'd love to jump to Easter. I would love to jump to everything is great and happy. Wouldn't that be nice? Can we hit the fast forward button? But it doesn't work that way. The path to Easter always goes through Good Friday. And the longer that we try to avoid Good Friday, the longer we avoid getting to Easter. The longer we try to stay away from all of the hard parts of life, the farther we get away from the joy that God offers to us in resurrection and new life. Psalm 23 doesn't say, if things ever get bad. Doesn't say when things go completely wrong and unexpected. It says, you will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's not a promise that God's going to make your life rainbows and unicorns. But that as you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. As we walk into the tomb of grief, God is with us. As we experience sadness, frustration, and disappointment, our Lord who became one of us has also experienced that and walks along with us and doesn't tell us that it's wrong or we should feel better, but says, 
Tell me about it. Let me hear about it. And it's not a comparison game. I mean, there are some people that have it worse, right? Over 100,000 deaths due to coronavirus in this country. I'm not one of them, so that's pretty good to start with. No one in my immediate family is one of them, so that's pretty good to start with. But that doesn't mean that my frustrations don't matter too. My grief is my grief. Your grief is your grief, no matter how big or small it is. It's not a competition. You get your stuff. Verse from Jeremiah 31. The voice is heard in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refuses to be consoled. It's quoted in the New Testament. It's used in the story of the holy innocents. You know this story? It's in Matthew 3, 2. Double-check me. It's either 2 or 3. Uh, Matthew 2 or 3. Uh, and, and it's this story where after Jesus is born, Herod comes and he murders all of the children, male children of Bethlehem. And Matthew said, a voice is heard in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be consoled. An acknowledgement that in the face of violence and cruelty, death and destruction, weeping and grief are a part of the life of faith. But Jeremiah then goes on to say in God's words that all will be restored. Rachel's children will be restored to her. There is joy on the other side. This has been a hard year, and it continues to be hard. Some of it's hard because of this, because we are spread out from one another and we're not able to be with one another in the ways that we might like to be. Some of it is hard because it seems like we're more divided as people than we have ever been. Even when we talk to one another, we aren't talking to one another, we're talking at one another. The gospel says yes. Life will get hard, tragic, frustrating, rage-inducing. And yes, on the other side of every tomb, there is an Easter. On the other side of every death, there is a promise of resurrection. On the other side of every grief and frustration, there is a promise of new life and new possibility. We mourn and grieve together so that we can celebrate together. We share our frustrations together so that we can come to joy again together. We believe in the God who raised Jesus from the dead. The God who in Jesus walked into the grave and walked back out again so that we would never be alone. That's the promise. And in the new normal, even if it doesn't look like the old one, in the new normal, we find new life and new possibilities.